Mountain Town, by Ivory Harlow, Raya, I, Raya scooted a piece of lettuce around her plate with her fork. She'd lost her appetite before the food arrived, watching her date's chin bounce as he laughed at his own jokes. I'm a lot of man for a little girl like you, Heath teased. Raya smiled politely because saying a word might prolong the awkward conversation, plus she had no idea how to respond to him calling her a little girl. Raya was a middle-aged professional woman. Why did I agree to go on this date? Raya wondered. Heath's aunt, Mrs. Martin, was a longtime volunteer at the Mountain Town Public Library where Raya worked. Mrs. Martin badgered Raya to go out with her sweet and single nephew Heath for nearly a year before Raya gave in. She had moved back to Mountain Town 13 years ago. She knew relocation from the metropolis of Baltimore, Maryland, to rural Mountain Town would hinder her dating life. Dating in Mountain Town was challenging for a few reasons. First, there is a limited pool of eligible bachelors in Mountain Town, Pop 3235. Second, as a middle-aged woman, she found men her age were interested in dating women 10 years younger. That said, she had a chance with men nearing 60, and she had yet to meet a 60-year-old man who could keep up with her. Health was Raya's only hobby, aside from reading. Running was her religion. She trained a minimum of 25 miles a week, plus two days of resistance training at the YMCA. She ate a clean diet. She never got sick. Aside from a few fine lines, Raya's creamy complexion and toned skin made her look years younger than her biological age. She had thick, shoulder-length auburn hair, which she wore down or pulled back into a ponytail when she ran. I made $28,000 on my first investment property in 2002. What do you think it'd be worth now? Heath called her to attention. He'd been blabbing the entire time. She hadn't heard a word he said. I bet 100k real estate prices where they're at. I should have sat on that property for another 20 years. Heath slapped his knee. You want dessert? He asked abruptly and snapped his fingers at the server. 2. Mountain Town is the least densely populated town, in the least densely populated county, in one of the least densely populated states of the U.S. The last time Raya pulled data for a library grant, there was an average of one person per square mile. While similar towns are gaining population from people leaving large cities, the population of Mountain Town is stagnant. Most people find its remoteness challenging. Few people want to live so far away from modern conveniences. Housing is scarce and the cost of living is high. Healthcare is limited. There are few jobs to be had, and what jobs are available pay low wages. However, people that choose to live in Mountain Town love it. The scenery is beautiful. The people are friendly. Raya cannot go to the post office or grocery store without seeing the familiar, smiling faces of her friends and neighbors. The town is nestled in a valley, surrounded by three mountain ranges. It sits at 5,000 feet elevation. The topography makes summers cool summers and winters mild. The public library where Raya works is across the street from the historic courthouse. Both were erected in the early 1900s and built with native limestone from a local quarry. Raya's office is clean and quiet and has an enormous window looking out into the courtyard. The view is opposite what she saw from the office window in her former city librarian life, 
but as a devout mountain town resident, it is a view she has grown to prefer. How was the date with Mrs. Martin's nephew? Jenna popped into Raya's office first thing Monday morning. It was. Okay, Raya chose her words carefully. She considered Jenna a friend, but as her boss, Raya didn't feel it appropriate to say what she really thought of Heath. Are you going out with him again? Jenna clapped her hands together with delight. Probably not, Raya said, but thought definitely not. Jenna frowned. Raya realized she and Mrs. Martin had conspired to make the date happen. Raya quickly changed the subject to the week of library programming. Jenna oversees library programs from toddler time to after-school tutoring to adult learning. Jenna started to work part-time at the library when she was in high school. She graduated at the top of her class. Several colleges offered her scholarships to attend, but Jenna chose a 2 plus 2 program so she could live at home and attend a community college for two years, then transfer to the state university to finish her degree. Those two years away from home were tough, Jenna admitted. I had horrible anxiety in the city. I only left my dorm to go to class and to the cafeteria. It feels so good to be back home. Program coordinator at the library was her first job after college. Raya didn't doubt it'd be her only job. Jenna was humble, loyal, and dedicated. Raya admired her for it, though it intrigued her that Jenna didn't seem to wonder what the world outside Mountain Town. Raya was eager to escape Mountain Town when she was Jenna's age. She graduated from the same high school two decades earlier. Raya was a similarly outstanding student. She earned scholarships at choice colleges. Her parents divorced during her junior year. Her father moved to practice law in the city, to practice law in the three hours away, while she and her mother moved to a smaller house, three blocks away from the home she grew up in. When it came time to choose a college, Raya picked the one furthest from Mountain Town on purpose. She earned an undergraduate degree from St. John's College, a private school in Annapolis. Raya pursued a master's degree in library and information science from the University of Maryland in Baltimore. Raya loved everything about the big city. Baltimore was a mashup of past, present, and future. Historical fiction and autobiography were her favorite genres of literature. Baltimore's rich Civil War-era history fascinated her. She met Andrew at the University of Maryland. He was finishing his second year of graduate school, studying the subfield of U.S. history. Their favorite way to spend days off was to visit one of Baltimore's historic monuments, museums, or cemeteries. They liked to walk along the bustling seaport until their noses led them to a seafood dive. Raya turned Andrew on to running so that they could continue to eat fried fish sandwiches while they worked their desk jobs post-grad school. Raya had been a long-distance runner on her high school track team. Baltimore had a plethora of parks and miles of recreational waterfront to run. She rented a condo in Inner Harbor so that she could lace up her sneakers, step out her front door, and go for a long jog along the bay. $3,700 a month? That's twice the amount I pay for annual property taxes on my bungalow in Mountain Town, her mother said, shocked. That's the going rate out here, Mom. Don't worry, I can afford it, she reassured her mother Gwen. They had a pre-scheduled weekly phone call on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. Raya had only been home to Mountain Town once since graduating high school, when Gwen was undergoing chemotherapy for stomach cancer. Gwen came to her to spend the holidays together in Baltimore, 
because it was Raya's preference. Gwen was a polite houseguest and complimented her daughter's beloved Baltimore. But Raya could tell the chaos and city crowds made Gwen eager to return home to peaceful mountain town. 3. The cancer is back. Gwen didn't waste time sharing the bad news on their Sunday evening call. Mom, Raya scrambled for words, found none, and sat in silence. It's unfortunate, Gwen said to fill the space. It wasn't her mother's job to comfort her. Gwen's first bout was small stomach cancer. The oncologist informed them the prognosis for people with small stomach cancers was good. Especially when detected early, like Gwen's case. Most recurrences happen within five years. I was sure I was clear when I passed the eight-year mark cancer-free, Gwen said. Then, ten years after being cured, Gwen had persistent belly pain. I feel tired the minute I get out of bed, she complained. Tests revealed not only had the cancer returned, but it had grown through the stomach wall and spread to other parts of her body. The oncologist said six months or fewer. Gwen's voice grew distant. She sounded detached. Raya stayed up all night to research metastatic stomach cancer. She read about conventional treatment options and state-of-the-art molecularly targeted therapies. One thing was for sure, her mom would not receive the advanced care she needed in Mountain Town. She called her mother the next morning. Mom, I think you should come to Baltimore for treatment at Johns Hopkins. There are clinical trials with promising preliminaries, she tried to sound enthusiastic. I know you, Raya. I know you've read and researched all the research. The best treatment might extend my life a month, maybe two. I'm not uprooting my life in Mountain Town to live a few more weeks in Smog City, Gwen said. I've lived a good life here and I want a good death here. I want to enjoy the time I have left in the comfort of my mountain home. Raya took a deep breath, knowing her mother had made up her mind. Now she had to make up her own. 4. Former Baltimore Mayor Kurt L. Schmoke declared the city's slogan should be the city that reads. Baltimore's top-notch libraries support his claim. Raya scored an internship at the Enoch Pratt Free Library, one of the most historic library systems in America. Post-graduation, she accepted the position of librarian, too, at the Central Library in downtown Baltimore. The glorious stone and granite branch dated back to the 1930s. Colorful murals, decorative molding, and ceiling art adorned the interior. Raya loved the people she worked with almost as much as she loved the place she worked, which only made the decision more difficult. If she left Baltimore to be with her mother in Mountain Town, she would leave behind her city, work, and social life. Nevertheless, she had a nagging feeling she must go immediately. Raya notified her employer, landlord, Andy, and friends that she was going home to Mountain Town to be by her mother's side. How long will you stay? Andrew asked solemnly. I can't answer that. I don't know. As long as she needs me. They had been dating for over a year, but neither had uttered the word love. They liked the same things, got along great, and enjoyed each other's company and companionship. It was easy to be together and fit in their shared circle of friends. Yet, they maintained separate lives, they had no interest in merging. Andy's apartment was on the other side of the city. He was as ambitious and invested in his career as she was in hers. He went to nearly every Colts and Orioles game with a set of guy friends Raya had never met. 
They didn't talk about feelings, dreams, or desires for a shared future. Frankly, they both knew there likely wasn't one to discuss. They had a silent mutual agreement to enjoy the present as long as they were enjoying the present. It occurred to Raya that this would make most 34-year-old women sweat. But Raya's biological clock seemed to be broken. When her friends stressed about their upcoming weddings and pregnancies, she felt relieved that she didn't have to deal with those things. She told her boss and landlord the same. She didn't know how long she would be gone, but she didn't expect them to hold her position or unit. Both were gracious, offering her the time she needed to decide. Call me when you're back in town, Andy said as they spent their last night together. They'd gone to dinner at Delicio's, their favorite place in Little Italy. I'll miss coming to this place, Andy said, but didn't mention missing her as she'd secretly hoped. Raya stayed late on her last day of work. She took all of her personal items home earlier in the week. Now she dusted empty shelves and organized materials and files to make it easy for co-workers to find materials or for someone new to step in and take over. She strolled down the skylit central hallway. The setting sun cast an amber glow on the polished marble pillars and floor. She exited the antique brass double doors and stepped into the street. A gust of wind swirled crisp leaves around her feet. An early frost had ignited fall color. Raya walked the mile and a half home, taking in the stunning golden, bronze, and scarlet foliage. Sugar maples were her absolute favorite tree of fall. They cascaded color from bright red to orange to yellow. Raya paused in front of a large maple on Federal Hill and took a picture with her phone. She enjoyed passing it every day on her way to and from work. Tonight would be the last time this fall. She pulled out her phone to snap a picture. Raya's flight left Thurgood Marshall Airport at 6.30 a.m. The sun was just beginning to rise in the east over the Baltimore cityscape. She looked out the plane window and mouthed a silent goodbye as the plane turned west. V. Lord, how long has it been? Mady, her mom's best friend, asked as she embraced her at the baggage claim. Nearly ten years since mom's last recovery. Well, you look just the same. Mady complimented. You too, Mady. You never change. Oh child, my grandchildren run me ragged. I've aged more in the last ten years than my entire life. Raya graduated a year ahead of Mady's twins. Both stayed in town, married and had families. Her son worked in oil fields, four on three off. Her daughter was a stay-at-home mom. I joked with your mom that she had to go get cancer again to get you to come home. Mady and her mom had been best friends their entire lives and shared a special sense of humor. She looked misty for a moment and said, but anyway, here you are to take care of her. Thank you so much for picking me up. Of course, sweetie. I was with your mom in the hospital the day she had you, you know. Your daddy had some big wig meeting in the city when your mom started having contractions. She was ready to go within an hour. I didn't think he was going to make it to the hospital in time. Raya had heard this story a million times as a testimony of Gwen and Mady's lifelong bond, which proved to be stronger than the one Gwen had with her father. Mady spent the two-and-a-half-hour drive from the airport to Mountain Town, bringing Raya up to speed on everyone in town. You could hear the boom miles away. Turned out he was making meth in the shed behind the house and something made it explode. Both he and his wife went to jail. 
children became custody of the state. The Mountaineers are having a good season already. Coach says they'll go to state this year. Mountain Town's football team made it to state every year, but always fell short of winning. Still, town folk loved its high school football team and treated the coach and players like local celebrities. Ron's foods got bought up by Super S folks were sad to see Ron sell the business, but to be honest, the Super S has a better selection than Ron ever did. You can get four kinds of cheese, just like a fancy grocery store in Baltimore. Mady beamed and patted Raya on the knee. The landscape looked familiar as they passed through Rose Pass. Wild Rose Pass is a gap in the mountains at 4,544-foot elevation. Pioneers navigated covered wagons west through the gap, bypassing Canyon Narrows and making their way into the uplands. Now, a state highway runs through it leading to Mountain Town. Matey, how is my mom really doing? Raya asked as she admired the sunset behind the western mountains and the last rays of the day cast through Wild Rose Gap. Matey hesitated, then said, Raya, I'm going to be honest with you because I don't want you walking in there unprepared. The cancer is wearing on your mom. She hardly has the energy to get around the house. I've been staying in your old bedroom because I'm afraid to leave her alone overnight. Thank you, Matey, that is sweet of you. Raya had spoken to her mom every day since Gwen shared the diagnosis. She noticed Gwen's voice weakened and her inability to keep engaged in conversation. Is Harold holding up okay at home alone? Harold is Matilda's husband of 45 years. They've lived in the same brick ranch home outside the city since Raya can remember. He's fine. Harold comes over to your mom's to eat breakfast, dinner, and supper with us. He is enjoying retired life, whittling away on woodworking projects in his workshop and trapping varmints on the property. Mady waved away Raya's worry. I'll go home now that you are here, but you call us any time day or night. It's less than 10 minutes from our door to yours. The speed limit plunged from 75 to 55 to 45 to 25 and finally 25 miles per hour through town. Mady drove past the elementary school. It was dusk. The school had been out for hours, but a few children rode bikes through the parking lot. They passed the new Super S store. It had a bright blue and yellow sign where the Ron's Foods marquee once stood. Mady turned onto 2nd Street, then Avenue E. Gwen's bungalow looked like a picture out of Real Simple magazine. It had heavy overhanging eaves and dormer windows. The house was brilliant white with gray accents. A matching white picket fence enclosed the yard. Mady pulled in front of the gate to let Raya out. Do you want to come in? Raya asked, nervous she wouldn't be able to keep her bearing when she saw her mom sick. I'm going to get home. You spend time one-on-one -on -one with your mom, Mady said softly. Raya got out of the car and grabbed her oversized suitcase from the trunk. Mady rolled down the window. Like I said, holler if you need us. She waved out the window as she drove away. She entered the gate, followed the sidewalk, walked up the front steps and onto the porch. She considered walking around back to the kitchen entrance, which was the only entrance she used when she lived there during her last year of high school. Raya had grown up four blocks from the bungalow, in a stately home on 6th Street. Gwen moved into the smaller bungalow when her parents divorced. Raya's dad relocated his law practice to the city after the divorce. Within a year, he had a younger wife and a baby on the way. 
She maintained a distant but amicable relationship with her dad in the years that followed. Raya visited him and his new family on holidays because of the custody agreement. Raya's stepmother welcomed her into their home. She tried to include Raya in the holiday festivities and referred to Raya as Big Sis to their new baby boy. Despite normal teenage girl angst, Raya was not upset about the situation. Her dad seemed happier in his new life. Her mom seemed happier alone. Raya was no longer required to visit her dad when she turned 18, and he was no longer required to pay child support. When he learned that she'd earned a full scholarship to college, he began making a monthly deposit into her bank account. For living expenses, he told her, I live in a dorm and have a meal plan. I don't have living expenses, she explained. Save it for a rainy day then. Raya knew this was her father's way of reconciling his guilt for abandoning her mother and firstborn child. At that moment, Raya realized her father wasn't the only one who had left her mother. She left for college the same year they divorced. Raya was a typical, self-absorbed teen, focused on her own future. She had not considered how first the divorce and then her leaving for college affected her mom. Raya stared at the front door for a second before lifting her fist to knock. She saw her mother through the window, walking slowly towards her. I am so glad you are here, Gwen opened the door and embraced Raya. She pulled away, keeping Raya at arm's length to look at her, then pulled her back in close. 6. Gwen had a full life in Mountain Town. She taught third grade at Mountain Town Elementary for several years. After recovering from cancer for the first time, she reduced her hours from full-time work to substitute teaching. Gwen preferred to substitute at the elementary, but filled in at the middle and high schools when the superintendent was in a pinch. She was beloved and highly requested by students of all ages. She had not taken a sub-job this fall because of the persistent stomach pain. Are the schools standing without you? Raya asked as they drank coffee on the backyard veranda. Gwen's vegetable garden was spent for the year, but a few winter squash and hardy greens were still standing. I think it's been harder on me than the school administration. This is the first fall I haven't bought school supplies since I can remember, Gwen sighed. Fall has always been my favorite season because of back-to-school time. I miss the kids in their squeaky new sneakers and heavy backpacks. They are so enthusiastic to learn, for at least a few months, she chuckled. Raya's eyes lit up when she talked about her projects at the Central Library. I am proud of you, Raya, for creating a life you love, Gwen said. You are more important to me than all that, Raya said sincerely. I know, darling. I am grateful you are here, but feel guilty you had to come to take care of your old mom. I didn't have to come, mom. I wanted to be with you, and I want you to be with me, as selfish as that is. It's not. Raya started, but Gwen held up a finger like she used to silence her classroom of third graders. It I is selfish of me but your sacrifice means so much, and makes me even more proud of the person you are. Ray slept soundly in her old bedroom under the familiar pale blue and yellow quilt. She remembered lulling herself to sleep as a teen, fantasizing about a future far away from mountain town. Now, at 34, she fantasized about what her life might be like if she had stayed. Raya expected to regret leaving Baltimore. She prepared herself to feel like a caged bird in Mountain Town and worried she wouldn't be able to hide her irritability from her mother. Oddly, she didn't. 
she felt peace of mind for having made the right decision. Like she was in the right place, at the right time, with the right people. 7. Gwendolyn Renee Riley, a third-grade teacher and lifelong resident of Mountain Town, passed away on December 15, 2023, at the age of 59. Her death has left an emptiness in our hearts. Ms. Riley began her teaching career at Mountain Town Elementary in 1986. For the past 37 years, she had a hand in bringing up hundreds of young children in our community. Mrs. Riley did not miss a single school play, homecoming parade, or high school graduation ceremony during her 37-year career. Gwendolyn dedicated her free time in service to Mountain Town Community Action. She was Teacher Association Western Chapter Vice President. She was a bright star in our lives that will never fade. Gwen is survived by her daughter, Raya Renee Riley. Gwen's funeral was on December 21st, the winter solstice. The three-story brick Gothic house had been a funeral home for as long as Raya remembered. As a child, she attended dozens of funerals for older family members and family friends there. A steady stream of townsfolk attended the viewing before the funeral. Bouquets filled the ceremonial room, spilled into the reception area, and down the hall. Everyone in Mountain Town attended the ceremony. There was standing room only. The funeral home ran out of candles for the candlelight service, but nobody seemed to mind. They were content to celebrate Gwen's life in fellowship with one another. After the last guest had given their condolences, Raya thanked the funeral director. He walked with her, through the entryway and onto the stonework porch. Snow flurries fell softly. They melted the moment they hit the ground. Lamplight shined through the leaded glass windows. The stained glass designs cast glints of colors on the masonry. Despite the evening of flowers, warm hearts, and glowing candles, the night felt damp and cold. Your mom did a lot of good in this town, the director said as he patted Raya's hand. You know she was my third grade teacher. She sent me to the principal's office for shooting rubber bands at the Ortiz sisters, he chuckled. The memory made Raya smile. She drove Gwen's Corolla back to the bungalow. Raya was back in the habit of entering through the back door, into the kitchen. She started a kettle of water to make tea, then proceeded to Gwen's bedroom to change out of the dress she'd borrowed from her mother's closet. She didn't bring clothes from Baltimore appropriate for a funeral. She closed her mother's bedroom door behind her after changing. Mady offered to clear Gwen's things when Raya was ready. In the meantime, Raya didn't want the empty bed to catch her eye as she walked through the living room. In the week Gwen had been gone, Raya was getting used to the empty house, but the silence pained her. Her mom always had light classical music playing in the background. Who's the composer of this one? She'd call across the room at Raya when she was too weak to get out of bed or off the couch to read the song information on the display. Now Raya walked over to the player and turned the music on to fill the void. She poured herself a cup of tea turned on the electric fireplace, and curled up on the couch. Raya let her mind wander through Baltimore, her condo, job, friends, and even Andy. She hadn't had time to think about her old life in weeks. I can go back anytime I want now. The thought surprised her. She was even more surprised at the resistance she felt when the idea arose. 8. The bright sun and clear sky made it feel like an early spring, even though it was mid-January. 
Raya was running the perimeter of St. Mary's Park when she got a text notification on her watch. The library books she'd requested online were ready for pickup. Gwen had gotten her hooked on a historical fiction series. She was eagerly awaiting number five. She bounded off the path for a half-mile detour to the library. She went straight to the circulation desk to retrieve her hold, but the chair was empty. They are probably shelving books. She scanned the rows for the familiar face of a staff member or volunteer. Raya had been a regular at the library since she returned to Mountain Home in October. Miss Clarabelle had been the librarian since Raya checked out her first chapter books. Raya heard faint laughter coming from the closed door behind the desk. She peeked through its rectangular window, caught Miss Martin's eye, smiled, and waved. Raya. So nice to see you, dear, Mrs. Martin opened the door. Loud laughter erupted from the office space. Sounds like y'all are having a party, Raya said. I hate to bother you. I stopped by to pick up my hold. No bother, Raya. I've been expecting you since I set it aside this morning, Ms. Martin shuffled over to the hold shelf. She handed the book to Raya. We are celebrating Clarabelle's retirement. Why don't you come back for cake? I ordered the cake from Bread Garden Bakery. It looks like a stack of books, but tastes much better. Plus, Clarabelle will love to see you. Raya joined the party. She chatted with Jenna about popular programming at Mountain Town and shared ideas from the Baltimore Library. It felt nice to step out of her morning and have fun with people. Let's talk in my office. She lived in a fog in the weeks following her mother's death. There was so much to do, from handling Gwen's estate, transferring titles to her name, and dealing with healthcare and insurance claims. She considered herself to be a resilient person who did what needed to be done without emotion but the ambiguity of grief challenged her view of herself. Mady often swooped in to take over when she became overwhelmed. She always felt as though she should accomplish something, but couldn't muster the energy to do anything but run, read, and rest. Forty-four years is a long career. Congratulations, Raya hugged Clarabelle. She always liked Clarabelle, a boomer feminist with a no-nonsense attitude. Her looks and feistiness did not wane with age. It goes by faster than you think, she said. I'm so glad you stopped by. I'd like to discuss something with you, but I thought it might be too soon to stop by your house, she eyed Raya for a reaction. If you can tolerate my trail gear and dirty sneakers, I'm all ears, Raya reassured her. Let's chat in my office, Clarabelle led her to the back corner office and motioned for her to sit. Raya looked out the window into the courtyard. Nice view. It can be yours. Clarabelle hinted about the conversation to come. Raya had seen Clarabelle at Gwen's funeral, but didn't have time to talk. She assumed Clarabelle called her into the office to offer condolences. She was wrong. What are your plans, Raya? Clarabelle got straight to the point. My plans? Your mom told me how well you were doing at the Baltimore Library and that you really enjoyed your job. Do you plan to go back? Clarabelle put her on the spot. Riot took a deep breath and looked down at her feet. I thought it might be too soon to ask, Clarabelle pulled back apologetically. No, no Clarabelle, it isn't too soon. I've been avoiding the decision, but I know I need to make one. Please excuse my giving you more to think about, Clarabelle said. 
For nearly 45 years, I worked hard to build this library into a community hub with books, computers, programs, and staff to support it all. You are the perfect person to take the reins when I retire. I'd like you to consider taking my place questions. Raya stared at Clarabelle in disbelief. Clarabelle looked directly into Raya's eyes and continued, You will do good for Mountain Town, in the same way your mother did good. If you'll consider staying, this job is yours. I am flattered by your competence in me, but... Raya racked her brain for words. Don't answer me now. Take a few days and think about it, Clarabelle urged her. She walked Raya to the front and told her to call or stop by if she had any questions. Mrs. Martin smiled sweetly from the circulation desk and they waved goodbye as Raya turned to leave. The afternoon temp climbed to 55 degrees Fahrenheit, perfect for the long walk home. Raya lifted her face to the sun, letting the rays soak into her face. She remembered Gwen's refusal of treatment at Johns Hopkins. I'm not uprooting my life in Mountain Town to live a few more weeks in Smog City. Now Raya understood her mother's sentiment. She turned at the corner onto 2nd Street, then onto Avenue E. She kept walking past the bungalow. She saw a cinnamon-colored cedar waxwing perched in the juniper in the front yard. It was filling its pale yellow belly with ripe berries. Folklore said the bird is a symbol of community, pointing to their tendency to flock together in large numbers. The species has an ability to adapt and thrive in different environments. Raya saw its presence as a sign of being flexible and open to change. She stopped to watch it hop around the shrub, flicking its gray tail with a bright yellow tip. Raya's route took her past her childhood home. Raya hadn't seen it since she'd been back in Mountain Town. She remembered the day her mother loaded their belongings into the U-Haul and moved to the bungalow and felt a pang in her chest as the guilt of abandoning her mom returned. Children's voices erupted from the backyard. She saw the rooftop of a wood play set peeking over the privacy fence. Higher, Daddy, the high-pitched voices pleaded. A happy family lives here again. Raya smiled at the thought, and the pang dissipated. She replayed the conversation with Clarabelle. Why was she still in Mountain Town? Because she wanted to recognize herself again, and Mountain Town was the only place she could do that. When making a major decision, Raya didn't bother to make a pros and cons list. She discovered such lists only amplified the biases she had when making them. Instead, Raya practiced trying on potential outcomes in her mind and paying attention to how each outcome feels. Raya imagined walking through the front door of her condo, setting down her suitcase, and looking out over the bay. She visualized her Baltimore office and catching up with her co-workers. She thought about how it'd feel to see her friends, to see Andy again. It was a joyful reunion in her mind, but lacked something. Next, Raya imagined planting vegetables in her mother's garden in spring. She considered accepting Clarabelle's job offer. She expected the position would pay half as much as she had made in Baltimore. But practically speaking, her mother had left her a paid-off house and car in Mountain Town. Her wants and needs were small, plus the idea of making a difference in town folks' lives, the way her mother did, meant a lot more to her than money. Raya was ravished by the time she got back to the bungalow. She warmed leftovers in the microwave, opened her laptop on the kitchen table, and began drafting emails. She made her choice, belonging to Baltimore. 9. 
Tuesday night is the author's appearance and lecture with Nathan Glimmer, Jenna sat in the chair, facing Raya's desk. She had just begun briefing Raya about that week's events at the library. Glimmer was a popular nature writer with regional wildlife expertise. His books had six-month waiting lists at the Mountain Town Library. He was a local celebrity. Jenna sent a cold email to request an appearance in Mountain Town. Not only did he agree, he thanked me for the opportunity. Jenna boasted. Raya clapped her hands together with anticipation. I'll pick up the refreshment order at the bread garden tomorrow afternoon, she typed a reminder notification into her phone. I expect a full house. I marketed the event in the library newsletter and on our website. I sent an email invite to everyone on his newest book's waiting list and told them we'd have signed copies for sale to benefit the Friends of the Library Fund. Thanks for your hard work, Raya said. Jenna beamed. Raya had been Jenna's boss for 13 years now. It took her a while to understand Jenna's need for praise and appreciation. Mountain Town Library was the first supervisory role she had. Managing people didn't come naturally. In fact, she relied heavily on Clarabelle, especially in the first year, to learn how to be a good boss and how to keep volunteers engaged and excited about service. In addition to serving as a mentor to Raya, Clarabelle sat on the library's board of directors. I am proud of what you've accomplished, Raya. You've taken this library to the next level. Can I give you some advice, one librarian lifer, to another? Clarabelle asked. Of course. Organizations are relationships. They thrive when everyone contributes and are celebrated for their contribution. Raya nodded. No matter how long of hours or how hard you work, the organization will be better if you do it with others, the same is true of life, Raya. Don't do it alone, Clarabelle advised. X. Raya filled her arms with books that needed to be shelved. I'll put those books up Raya, underscore 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 said. Don't bother with them. It's no bother. I've been stuck behind my desk all afternoon, working on the annual budget, she said. I need to stretch my legs. Mountain Town Public Library catalogued books according to the Dewey Decimal System. Raya knew it by heart. The first three numbers categorized books by genre, zero was reference materials, 100s, 400s social sciences, 500s, 600s natural and applied sciences, arts 700s, literature 800s, and history and geography 900s. Her library adds a decimal, then identifier digits and the first letters of the author's last name to make it easier for patrons to locate. Fiction is divided into five categories, mystery, M, western, W, sci-fi slash fantasy, SC, and everything else, F, and shelved in alphabetical order by the author's surname. Raya made a game to put books in their proper place by simply glancing at the cover. The latest Macomb's Victorian romance novel, FMC. Complete Guide to America's National Parks, 917.30 NAT. What to Expect When You're Expecting, 618.2 MUR. As she put the title in its proper place, she noticed a girl standing in front of the medical science section, looking lost. Can I help you find something? Riot took a step towards the girl. She nervously tucked her thick, brown-black hair behind her ear. The girl was wearing an oversized black hoodie that covered most of her body. Only the knees down were visible. 
They stuck out the sweatshirt like a pair of toothpicks in skinny jeans. The jeans were too long, tucked into high-top black chucks. Raya expected to see her type in the graphic novel section, not medical science. She's probably here for homework, Raya thought. I'm just looking, she said and averted her large brown eyes to the bookshelf to avoid Raya's gaze. Raya smiled and nodded, remembering what it was like to be her age. Raya guessed the girl was a sophomore in high school, based on her size, style, and lack of confidence. Seniors swaggered around Mountain Town as if they owned it. Juniors had developed some style and social skills from part-time jobs and extracurriculars. This young lady was too timid in her interactions with adults to be either. She shrank away from Raya to the end of the aisle as Raya walked towards the home management section with baking at high altitude, 641.8 kL. As Raya turned the corner, she saw the girl pull what to expect when you're expecting off the shelf and crack open the cover. 11. The team became a regular fixture at the library from 3.30 p.m., the time high school dismissed, to 8 p.m. when the library closed. She kept to herself, claiming the same oversized armchair in the corner, flipping through magazines and books. She wore earbuds most of the time. Raya took it as a statement that she wanted to be left alone. Other staff members noticed the girl's regular presence at the library. Do you know her name? Raya asked. No. I've never checked her out. I don't know if she even has a library card, Jenna said. They looked at Rachel, a high school girl who worked at the circulation desk part-time. I've seen her around school. She doesn't talk much. Her name is Chloe. Chloe Jenkins, Johnson, J-something. Late summer through early fall was the rainy season in Mountain Town. Nine out of ten ths of an inch of rain had already fallen that afternoon. There was no sign of it letting up. Raya sighed at the sight of standing water in the library courtyard. She knew they needed the rain. Mountain Town got 90% of its annual precipitation in a short three months. But she hated running on a treadmill at the YMCA. Maybe she'd go heavy on the strength training after work instead. The meatheads wouldn't be dominating the weight room on a Friday night. I'm headed to the YMCA, Raya told Rachel as she headed out the door. It was 6.30 p.m., but the stormy weather made it look later. Text if you need anything over the weekend. It was still raining when she emerged from the gym an hour and a half later. The YMCA's fluorescent lights and a dozen flat-screen TVs blasting random programming distorted reality. She expected to walk outside and into broad daylight. It reminded her why she prefers running outdoors. It has an opposite, grounding effect. Raya hurried to Gwen's Corolla. She lodged herself and her gym bag inside to get out of the rain. The clock on the dash, 8.08 p.m. The library was just closing. Sure enough, she saw Rachel holding Mrs. Martin's umbrella overhead as they locked up for the evening. The wipers sloshed rain off the windshield in a steady rhythm as she drove home. Rivers flowed along the curbs and covered half of each lane. The few cars on the road straddled the median. Raya spotted a dark figure in the distance. The oversized sweatshirt, soaked with rain, gave Chloe away. She must be walking home from the library, Raya thought and swelled with rage that the girl's parents would allow such a thing. She pulled ahead and turned right onto the street, blocking the sidewalk, and rolled down the passenger window. Hi, 
Chloe? I'm Raya, the librarian. Can I give you a ride home? Chloe peered out from her wet hood, recognizing Raya. Come in. Raya motioned her to the car and tossed her gym bag into the back seat. Chloe moved towards the car and leaned into the passenger window. I'm really wet. I don't want to ruin your seat. No worries, I already soaked this side, Raya said lightheartedly. Chloe saw Raya would not give up. She opened the car door and climbed in. Chloe stuffed her soaked backpack on the floorboard between her knees and wiped the rain off her face. She didn't bother to remove her hood. Where to? Carol's court. It's past the cemetery. Raya knew where the trailer park was. It was a few miles from the library. Quite a distance to walk in a rainstorm. She felt a resurgence of disapproval for the girl's parents. The blue one, there, with the carport, Chloe pointed. Raya pulled into the driveway. There was an old Impala parked under the carport. Next to it, a trash canister overflowed empty microwave meal containers onto the hood of the car. Thank you, she said as Raya pulled into the drive. You're welcome. I'll see you at the library, she said. Raya put the car in reverse, but kept her foot on the brake. She had a gut feeling something was amiss. She watched Chloe knock on the screen door. When no one answered, Chloe opened it and knocked on the front door. No response. Chloe stretched over the railing and peered in the window. Everything okay? Raya shouted from the car. Chloe shrugged. Raya motioned her back to the car. Do you want to use my phone to call? Mama is old and can't hear well. She's probably fallen asleep. I'll just wait under the carport until she wakes up. Raya frowned with disapproval. What kind of person falls asleep during a major storm without knowing her granddaughter's whereabouts? Why don't you come home with me, get dry, and have a warm meal? Then we'll call her from my house. Raya's tone of voice was not suggesting as much as informing Chloe what to do. Chloe walked around the car and got in the passenger seat without saying a word. So it's just you and your grandma? Raya asked as they drove towards the bungalow. Yep. My mom lives with her boyfriend in the city. Chloe didn't mention her dad, so Raya didn't ask. The rain had let up by the time they reached Raya's house. Raya led Chloe through the back door and into the butter yellow kitchen. She turned on the lights. The bright white cupboards nearly blinded Chloe. Raya hung her wet coat and bag on the coat rack and motioned Chloe to follow her. I'll get you some dry clothes. Raya turned on a couple of dim lamps and the electric fireplace as she passed through the living room. Chloe's eyes scanned the living room from the high ceilings to the polished wood floors. A warm glow illuminated the soft gray walls. There was an oversized couch and a slouching armchair. Two tall bookshelves stood on each side of the fireplace, packed with hardcover classics by Alcott, Bronte, Dickinson, and others. Raya emerged from a bedroom with a pair of sweatpants and a flannel shirt. She balanced a thick pair of socks on top of the stack of clothes. These should work while your clothes are in the dryer. The bathroom is there if you'd like to change. Thank you, Chloe accepted the clothes. I'm not much of a cook, but I make a mean grilled cheese and tomato soup. Chloe smiled for the first time. Must be hungry, Raya thought. Chloe carried her wet clothes into the kitchen, just as Raya flipped the sandwiches in the hot, buttered skillet. The dryer is in the pantry. She nodded her head in that direction. 
It's a weird place for a laundry room. The house was built in 1906, long before they invented washers and dryers. When were washers and dryers invented? It intrigued Chloe. The 1930s. But most people out here didn't have electricity until the 1940s, and electric appliances until at least 1950. My mama still hangs clothes to dry on a clothesline. But I think she does it to save money at the laundromat. I love the smell of clothes dried outdoors, Raya said. Me too, Chloe agreed and pulled a stool out from under the kitchen island. Chloe devoured the first sandwich. Want another? Chloe appeared self-conscious when Raya asked if she wanted seconds. It's no trouble. I haven't even washed the pan, Raya assured her. In that case, better make two. It surprised Raya how much she enjoyed Chloe's company. They talked about school. Chloe was a sophomore. She didn't like or dislike school. Her grades were okay. She didn't play sports or belong to any clubs. The dryer dinged. Clothes are dry. Do you want to try calling your grandma while I clean up? The phone is right around the corner, on the end table in the living room. It occurred to her that most high school, heck, kids in junior high, had cell phones. It seemed odd Chloe did not. Especially since she spent so much time alone. No answer, she reported. I left a message to call the number on the caller ID. Will she expect you home by a curfew? Raya asked. Maybe her grandmother fell asleep, thinking Chloe was out with friends. After all, Chloe is a teenager, and it is Friday night. She won't wait for me, if that's what you mean. I'm streaming this new series based on a historical fiction novel set in the Regency period in England. Do you want to watch it? Raya asked. They moved to the living room couch. For episodes and two bags of popcorn later, Chloe was hooked. You read the books already? Do they banish the governess? Chloe asked. I won't spoil it. You'll have to read to find out. We have the book at the library. I'll help you check it out next week, Raya teased. Oh, man. I have to wait the entire weekend. Raya glanced at the antique clock on the fireplace mantel. It was after midnight. Do you want to try calling home again? I can try. Chloe's smile faded. She was having fun. Raya threw the empty popcorn bags in the trash and returned as Chloe hung up the phone. No luck? Nope. You are welcome to stay here Chloe, Raya said. I just don't want your grandma to worry. She won't. I'll take your word for it. Follow me. Raya led Chloe to Gwen's old bedroom. The room had been vacant for nearly 13 years. She thought about swapping bedrooms because Gwen's was the bigger of the two, but she wasn't wild about the lilac-colored walls. Painting them wasn't high on her priority list, plus the wall color and floral quilt reminded her of her mother. I've never seen so many pillows on a bed. My mom loved pillows. Her favorite way to relax on weekends was to drink tea and red in bed. When I was your age, I'd climb in beside her with a book and cup of tea, Raya smiled at the memory. She passed away 13 years ago. I'm sorry, Chloe said. I know how it feels to miss your mom. My mom is gone too. Alive, but gone. Raya smiled with sympathy. Chloe was a sweet girl. Make yourself at home. My room is on the other side of the bathroom if you need anything. That night, Chloe slept soundly because she felt safe, and Raya slept soundly because Chloe was safe.
12. A benefit of being a librarian is full access to an array of research databases. Raya was skilled in sorting through a vast quantity of records to locate the exact information one needs. Jenny, Ancestry, FamilySearch, and Heritage Online databases helped her find out things she wanted to know about Chloe, but didn't want to ask. Chloe's grandmother's name is Patricia Reyes. Her grandfather, Alberto Reyes, passed away 10 years ago when Chloe was 6. She searched the Department of State Health Services birth indexes. She discovered the Reyes' two children, a boy Michael, and a girl Linda. Linda must be Chloe's mother. She scanned the Mountain Town High School yearbook from last year and located a picture of freshman Chloe Jepson. The Department of State Health Services maintains searchable marriage indexes. There were no licenses on file for Linda Jepson, maiden name Reyes. She found dozens of Jepson records in the state, too many to pinpoint without knowing Chloe's father's first name. Her father would remain a mystery, at least for now. Raya searched for public civil and criminal court documents. Linda had multiple misdemeanors on record, DWI, and possession of a controlled substance. They found Michael Reyes guilty of manufacturing controlled substances. He was incarcerated in 2018. He was listed as the owner of the trailer in Carroll's court, according to the county appraisal district. There was no legal designation of Patricia Reyes as Chloe's guardian. Raya assumed the arrangement was a verbal agreement between mother and daughter. That meant there was not a social worker ensuring Patricia was caring for Chloe appropriately, or worse, maybe Patricia never agreed to care for Chloe. Raya would feel better if Child Protective Services were involved. At least someone would monitor and hold caregivers accountable for Chloe's well-being. As their friendship deepened, Raya made a point of not asking Chloe about her family. Chloe seemed to appreciate it. She quickly changed the subject if her family came up in casual conversation. Chloe opened up to Raya about other things. She admitted to struggling with math and asked Raya for tutoring. She complained about not fitting in at school and didn't have friends to talk to. But it wasn't all doom and gloom. Chloe loved to brief Raya about the latest pop culture and thought it was hilarious when Raya said the word dank or spilled the tea. They laughed at what was hip when Raya grew up in the 70s. Chloe actually liked thrifting through Raya's vintage 80s clothes. Chloe became a regular at the library and a regular at Raya's house. Chloe said that her grandmother didn't mind that she stayed there. Raya thought about confronting the woman. At least bringing Chloe's whereabouts to her attention. Every Wednesday night, Chloe sat in the back of Raya's GED classes while she taught. She worked on homework, but occasionally chimed in when the topic interested her. Motivational speaker Jim Rohn said, You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, she told Chloe. It's good to be around people working to better themselves. Raya treated her to a meal after class. Chloe's favorite place to eat in Mountain Town was a dive called Carl's. She ordered a greasy spoon burger and fries, which she dipped in a pink mixture of mayo and ketchup. I feel my arteries clogging just watching you eat. Nom, nom, Chloe said, scooping up a large glob of the mayo ketchup mixture on a fry and popping it in her mouth. Enjoy that while you are young, Raya joked. She wasn't wild about Carl's, but was increasingly fond of Chloe. The El Nino climate pattern that brought higher-than-average rainfall in autumn ushered in a frigid winter. 
Raya bought Chloe a black puffy parka with a hood, in the likeness of your sweatshirt, she said when she gave Chloe the gift. She wanted to wrap the entirety of Chloe in a puffy parka to keep her safe and out of the cold. It was dark by 5.30 in December. Raya worried about Chloe walking alone on the streets on cold and dark winter nights. She gave an ultimatum, she would drive Chloe to her grandma's, or Chloe could come home with her, but she was not to be out alone after dark. Chloe rolled her eyes at Raya's concern but did not argue. In fact, it gave her the permission she needed to become a permanent fixture at Raya's house, they had fallen into an easy pattern of being with one another. Raya thought she didn't have a nurturing bone in her body. She never wanted kids. Her lackluster relationship with Andrew was the longest relationship she had been in, and it ended over a decade ago. When love, marriage, and a baby carriage didn't happen in her twenties, thirties, or forties, she didn't sweat it. At 47, she felt content with a life without those things. Then Chloe came along. Seeing the light in Chloe's dark eyes melted her heart. Raya felt a sense of duty to Chloe that she'd only felt once in her life to her mother. She considered herself Chloe's friend and mentor, but their bond felt like family. 13. Raya was alone for the evening. Chloe's grandmother called the cell phone Raya got her earlier in the day to tell her Linda and her boyfriend were in town. At her request, Raya dropped Chloe off at her grandmother's for the evening. She tried to hide her dejection as she backed out of the driveway and headed to the bungalow alone. She went for a run, showered, and cut up some cheese and crackers for dinner. There was no point in cooking for one person. Raya plopped in front of the fireplace with a new non-fiction book. After reading a page and remembering nothing, she turned on the ten o'clock news to fill the silence. She was dozing off when a sound woke her. She reached for the remote to mute the TV. Knock, knock, knock at the back door. Chloe. Raya jumped off the couch and trotted to the kitchen. She recognized Chloe's dark silhouette through the glass. She hurried to open the door. Chloe spilled into Raya's arms. Her teary eyes brimmed with red. Raya held her. It's okay. You're okay, she said, swaying back and forth gently. That's just it, Chloe sobbed. I'm not okay. Did something happen? Yes, a while ago, but I haven't been able to tell you because. She buried her face in Raya's hair. Because you think I'm better than I am. There is nothing you could tell me that will change my mind about you, Chloe. I'm pregnant, she whimpered. 14. Raya flashed back to the first time she saw Chloe in the medical sciences section, flipping through what to expect when you're expecting. She'd had suspicions since then when Chloe complained of nausea and persistent back pain. But having never been pregnant herself, Raya couldn't distinguish a pregnancy symptom from a flu symptom. Plus, she had no grounds to ask Chloe if she was pregnant or even sexually active. Now that she knew for sure, she wanted Chloe to feel like she'd done the right thing by telling her, Why don't you sit on the couch? I'll make us some hot cocoa. She held out her hand to take Chloe's coat. Chloe walked a path of shame to the living room. The last thing she wanted was for Chloe to feel judged. She took a deep breath, grabbed the mugs, and followed Chloe to the living room. Chloe was sitting in front of the fireplace, allowing herself to be hypnotized by the full flame. She handed a mug to Chloe, breaking her gaze, 
then sat down on the couch beside her. Here goes nothing, Raya thought. Chloe met the boy at a party in the city when she was visiting her mother. She didn't even know his last name. He was older than her, and she wanted him to like her. It was dumb, I know. She never heard from him again. I missed my period the following month. I had a bad feeling about it, but brushed it off, because my periods aren't regular, anyway. I had PMS, regardless moodiness, breasts hurt. I thought that meant I wasn't pregnant, even though I wasn't bleeding. But then I didn't have a period the following month either. I bought a pack of pregnancy tests at the dollar store. Both were positive. Did you tell your grandma or your mom? I did tonight. Chloe looked down at her hands on her belly. Her eyes filled with tears. Mom said I make her life more difficult than it already is. Like I got pregnant to annoy her? She got pregnant with me when she was in high school and has been holding it against me ever since, Chloe explained. Mama said you're just like your mom, which hurt even more, because like my mom is the last thing I want to be. What can I do to help you? Raya asked. I don't even know what I am supposed to do, Chloe looked overwhelmed. Neither do I, but I bet we can find a how-to book at the library, Raya bantered, evoking a smile and teenage eye roll through the tears. We'll figure it out together Chloe, Raya reassured her. 15. Shannon, I need a favor. Raya texted Shannon, a doctor at Mountain Town's Regional Hospital, the next morning, while Chloe was asleep. Raya and Shannon graduated from Mountain Town High School the same year. They were neck and neck, to be valedictorian. They'd been friends in high school and rekindled a connection since Raya got back in town. Raya explained the situation to Shannon, who had the knowledge, expertise, and bedside manner to put them both at ease. Of course, I can see Chloe at 11 a.m. Shannon texted back. Chloe looked nervous on the ride to the clinic. I only remember seeing a doctor once in my life, for kindergarten shots, she said. She'll probably order a formal pregnancy test and other labs, a physical exam, and an ultrasound. Is an ultrasound a picture of the baby? Chloe asked. It produces a picture of the baby. But I think a fetus looks more like a white blob than a human in the first trimester. Chloe nodded. I'm still excited to see it. Me too. Raya stayed in the lobby during Chloe's exam. She tried reading a worn issue of Scientific American, but by the time she finished a paragraph, she didn't retain any of the information and had to start over. The multiple potentialities of Chloe's situation distracted her. Would Chloe choose to have the baby? Would she want to raise it herself or put it up for adoption? The overturning of Roe versus Wade added further complexity to the situation. If Chloe chose not to have the baby, she'd have to travel out of state for an abortion. Raya was clueless about abortion law, especially how they pertain to Chloe as a minor. Would she need to involve her mother? Should Raya consult an attorney? Raya Riley, Raya snapped to attention when the nurse called her name. Chloe's exam was complete, and she'd requested Raya in the room for the results and consultation. You're about 14 weeks pregnant, which puts your due date in mid-September, Dr. Shannon said. Your HCG levels look very good. Chloe's face was blank. Dr. Shannon explained, low HCG puts women at higher risk of miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy. The ultrasound shows everything is developing normally. The healthy fetus is taking up your entire uterus. She pointed to the black and white picture. 
She lectured Chloe about the importance of nutrition and recommended over-the-counter prenatal vitamins. Have you visited the Pregnancy Resource Center in town? Chloe shook her head. Dr. Shannon reached to the brochure display beside her desk and handed Chloe a brochure. The Pregnancy Resource Center provides free, confidential pregnancy counseling. The director is Elizabeth. She will talk with you about all your options, parenting, adoption, and abortion. Shannon paused thoughtfully. It's not my, or Elizabeth's, or Raya's, or anyone's place to tell you what you should do. We are here to give you information, to help you make the best decision for yourself, and to support whatever decision that is. Raya took Chloe's hand in hers and smiled at Shannon for articulating the message she wanted to convey to Chloe, but hadn't been able to find the words to say. 16. Do you feel up to getting groceries on the way home? Raya asked Chloe. Chloe pushed the cart through the aisles of Super S as Raya filled it with groceries. No more tuna fish sandwiches for me, Chloe said as Raya added two cans to the cart. That's right. Raya recalled Dr. Shannon's list of no-go foods for pregnant women, including tuna. She put the cans back on the shelf. Raya, Chloe sighed, don't sacrifice tuna for me. You can still have it. I can live without tuna, but I'd rather cut off my arm than give up cream cheese. Raya teased. Raya tossed a bottle of prenatal vitamins into the cart. As they approached the checkout lines, she worried the cashier would notice the odd item. Word traveled like wildfire in a small town. Raya wanted to shield Chloe from the disapproving looks and whispers as long as possible. She swerved into Glady's line. The 80-year-old cashier's eyesight was failing, she couldn't distinguish a bottle of vitamins from a container of yogurt. When they were back at the bungalow washing produce and putting away paper towels, Chloe asked Raya, what would you do if you were me? Honestly, I don't know. But I know what I'd be thinking about if I were you, she offered. Chloe pulled a stool up to the kitchen island, propped her elbows on the counter, rested her chin in her hands, and said, I'm listening. I'd be thinking I don't know how to care for a baby. I would be terrified to do it alone. I'd worry about paying for diapers, baby food, and medical bills. I'd wonder how having a baby at 16 would affect my future. Raya exhaled and looked Chloe in the eyes. My mother always said, life doesn't give more than you can handle. I'd know that somehow I would face the fear and uncertainty. I'm afraid, Chloe said. When I have a tough decision to make, I imagine each potential outcome and pay attention to how it feels, Raya suggested. Thirteen years ago, I came back to Mountain Town because of my mom's terminal illness. When she passed, I had to decide whether to go back to my life in Baltimore, Maryland, or stay in Mountain Town. I loved my life in Maryland, but when I imagined a new life in Mountain Town I knew I needed to stay. Some people call it a gut feeling, others call it a heartwarming sensation. To me it just felt right. Raya wrapped her arms around Chloe's shoulders. When you get that feeling, you have to trust it, even if you are afraid. 17. School let out for summer. Chloe's classmates donned bikinis and board shorts. Chloe's baby bump was impossible to hide beneath summer clothes, swimsuits aside. Her pregnancy went viral on the Mountain Town rumor circuit. She was just glad school was out for summer and she could avoid demoralizing looks and taunting from her peers. Elizabeth at Pregnancy Resource Center said when a minor is pregnant, a parent or legal guardian must permit the procedure in advance 
or the performing physician is required to notify the minor's parent or guardian. Alternatively, the physician can receive a court order to perform an abortion or certify the existence of a medical emergency requiring an abortion. In any case, if Chloe decided to abort, she would need to visit a clinic across state lines. Elizabeth said some people buy pharmaceutical interventions from Mexico, but warned Chloe that those drugs are not FDA-approved or regulated. Elizabeth advised Chloe to prioritize her health. Whether you choose to have the baby or decide to terminate the pregnancy, by the time she visited the resource center, Chloe had already decided to keep the baby. She patiently listened to Elizabeth explain all the options, which only solidified her decision. Chloe had a blowout with her mother over her decision. When I told mom I am keeping the baby, she said that I should have an abortion, that it's in my best interest. It surprised me when she offered to drive me to a clinic across the state line since she could never seem to find time to visit me and mama in Mountain Town, Chloe lamented. What else did she say? That I'll ruin my life like she ruined hers, having me. I'm sorry she said that to you. She meant having a baby young and all, but hello, I'm sitting right here, Chloe said. She could have been more tactful. Chloe agreed. The thing is, I'm not my mom. Your experience may not be the same, because you are not the same person, Raya reflected. I'm not saying it isn't hard to be a teen mom, Chloe explained, but mom has spent her life running away from hard. I've done a lot of hard things in my life. I can handle hard. I don't blame other people for having a hard life, and I don't sit around feeling sorry for myself. When it gets hard, I won't run away, and I won't sit around feeling sorry for myself. 18. During the summer months, Raya ran in the early morning before work and before it got too hot. She wasn't naturally an early riser, but found she did her best thinking in cool quiet pre-dawn. That morning, Raya allowed her body to fall into the rhythm of running. She organized her thoughts to give annual performance reviews later that day. She'd nearly completed a three-mile loop when a new for-sale sign pitched in front of her childhood home brought her running legs and wandering mind to a halt. She googled the realtor's listing as soon as she got to work. Fully restored 1894 two-story Victorian home with large wraparound porch. Four bedrooms, 2.5 bathrooms, 2,894 square feet. The kitchen features granite and stainless steel appliances. Open family and dining room with a masonry fireplace. The home has original hardwood floors, chestnut woodwork, staircase, stained glass windows, and pocket doors. Raya scrolled through 38 photos on the Zillow. She remembered sliding across the living room's hardwood floors in her socks. Her mom directed her dad to position the Christmas tree at the center of the living room window each year. Gwen thought it looked off-center, no matter how much her dad tweaked it. The kitchen had new cabinets and stainless steel appliances. The breakfast nook benches were reupholstered in bright-colored fabric. Raya remembered sitting at the corner bench, looking out the tall window, eating cold cereal in summer and warm oatmeal in winter. She took a virtual tour up the winding staircase to the second floor. A fresh coat of moss-colored paint didn't disguise her old bedroom, which was powder pink. The smallest bedroom on the second floor had served as her dad's home office. It still had the built-in bookshelves that used to house his law books and legal references. The backyard pictures showed a new privacy fence and a brick veranda with an outdoor oven. A playset stood in plain view of the kitchen window. Nice additions, Raya thought.
she hovered her clicker over the schedule a showing button. Be rational, she thought, you don't need a 2,894-square-foot house. The 1,200-square-foot bungalow seemed like too much space for her before Chloe moved in. It isn't fair to waste the relator's time if I'm not serious about buying it. She tried to convince herself and closed the browser window. 19. Chloe glanced at the rearview mirror nervously and tightened her grip on the steering wheel. Let him pass you if he's in a hurry, Raya eyed the driver tailgating Chloe in the side mirror. Chloe was turning 17 soon and had never been behind the wheel. Raya signed her up for driver's ed and took it upon herself to make sure Chloe had ample practice hours. But I don't want a license, Chloe argued. You can't walk an infant to medical appointments in winter, Raya said. What are you going to do if I'm at work and you need baby wipes? Wait until you get home. Or text you. Nonsense. Living out here, you need a license to be self-sufficient. Chloe also needed to drive herself to ALT, an alternative school, in the fall. They decided she would not start junior year at high school, only to leave to have the baby a few weeks later. Instead, she'd attend ALT after the baby was born. Graduating from ALT would provide her with a regular diploma instead of earning a GED. Plus, Chloe could take advantage of free childcare in the same building while she attended class. Raya hadn't told Chloe yet, but she intended to give Chloe the Corolla for her 17th birthday. The car was new when she inherited it from her mother. It was a perfect first car for Chloe, low miles, well-maintained, and safe. It had a big back seat for a car seat and a diaper bag and a trunk to stow the stroller. Chloe cruised at 55 miles per hour as cars whizzed around her. I don't want to go faster than this, she told Raya, keeping her eyes on the road ahead. You don't have to. You are doing great for your first time on the highway, Raya said. Chloe breathed a sigh of relief. I think I'll stick to driving 25 miles per hour in town. Chloe got a summer job at the Shell gas station. She worked the register, tidied and stocked shelves with snack items. Her boss, Mr. Glass, gave her all the junk food nearing expiration. You're eating for two, he said, filling her arms with bags of Funyuns and boxes of tasty cakes. Mr. Glass was a sweet old man. Chloe knew he meant well. She also knew Raya didn't consider these items appropriate for prenatal nutrition. She thanked Mr. Glass politely and dropped the food off at her mama's after work. Crimpet cakes are mama's favorite. Chloe restored her relationship with Mama after her mom's visit. Mama just seemed relieved that Chloe and a crying baby didn't plan to live in the trailer. When Chloe was not working, she was at the library. She helped Jenna update the bulletin board and design program displays. Chloe looked up to Jenna, and Raya thought Jenna was a good influence. Mrs. Martin gave Chloe tasks in the children's section, so you can familiarize yourself with the classics. Mrs. Martin bought her copies of Goodnight Moon, Guess How Much I Love You, and Go, Dog. Go. These were my daughter's and granddaughter's favorites. Your baby girl will love them too. Chloe learned her baby was a girl after her second ultrasound at 18 weeks. She'd heard pregnant women say, I don't have a preference, gender, as long as the baby is healthy. But she did not expect to feel relief each time Dr. Shannon told her, Baby girl is looking great. Chloe was in awe that her body somehow knew how to grow a perfect baby. She had never prayed before becoming pregnant.
Now, she prayed incessantly that she would somehow know how to care for this perfect baby when it was born. Raya tried calming Chloe's fears with facts. Women have successfully grown and had babies for thousands of years, and less than 3% of babies in the United States are born with a birth defect. There was no reason for Chloe to be concerned. It didn't keep Chloe from worrying constantly, and Raya's science-backed research didn't make her feel better. Raya wished Gwen were there. Her mother would know exactly what to say and would have personal anecdotes to put Chloe at ease. It was information Raya couldn't find in library reference materials. A baby in the house would have delighted Gwen, who gave up badgering Raya about grandchildren after years of Raya insisting she didn't want to have them. Chloe's resolve and refusal to feel sorry for herself were the characteristics Raya admired most about Gwen, and also about Chloe. XX. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Chloe, happy birthday to you. Chloe's birthday fell on a Wednesday night. Raya's GED students, library staff, and volunteers gathered around a cake to sing and celebrate her 17th birthday. Raya promised to take Chloe out for birthday dinner after class, anywhere your heart desires. She rolled her eyes when Chloe picked Carl's. Your car or mine? Chloe held up her keys, which still had the red ribbon Raya tied on the keychain before she presented the gift that morning. She had the Corolla detailed and installed a new car seat in the back seat. You drive. You need practice, Raya teased. Chloe passed the driver's test earlier that week, but was still reluctant to drive faster than 55 miles per hour. Chloe didn't have room for a birthday dessert, but ordered one of Carl's famous chocolate malts to go. Ready to go home? She asked as she squeezed behind the steering wheel and stretched the seat belt over her belly. One last stop. I have another surprise, Raya said and directed Chloe to drive past the bungalow. You can pull in here and park. Who lives here? Chloe asked, looking up at the large, beautiful, historic home. We do, Raya answered. Follow me. Raya unlatched the front gate and walked a few steps ahead of Chloe, up the stairs, onto the porch. She pulled the keys from her purse and unlocked the front door. This is where I grew up and it's where your baby will grow up. She smiled and flipped the light switches on. Chloe marveled at the high ceilings, white crown molding, and dark wood floors. Raya told Chloe about the time she tried to slide down the staircase banister backward and bruised her tailbone. They laughed all the way to the second floor. This was my bedroom. I had a pink canopy bed. I thought it was very sophisticated, Raya laughed. She showed Chloe the room next to it that had been her dad's office. This will make a great playroom. The third bedroom was larger and had a walk-in closet. There was a bathroom suite with a double sink nestled between the three rooms. I was thinking I'll take the bedroom on the first floor, and you and the baby can have the second floor to yourselves for privacy. Chloe was at a loss for words. Is everything okay? Raya asked, wondering if she jumped to the conclusion that Chloe and the baby would stay with her indefinitely. I don't mean to pressure you. No one has ever been as kind as you have been to me. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve you, Chloe began to cry. Raya wrapped her arms around Chloe and her belly. Chloe, I don't deserve you and the baby either, but I need you both to be my family, Raya said, wiping the tears from Chloe's eyes. XXI. Proud parent Chloe Jepson announces the birth of Mountain Town's newest resident, Luna Gwendolyn Jepson.
Luna was born on September 21, 2023, at Mountain Town Regional Hospital. The baby girl weighed 6 pounds and 8 ounces, 18.5 inches long. Congratulations to the Jepson Riley family.